you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning, church. This morning we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, and I'll be reading from the ESV version. While you're getting that passage out, if you haven't met me, my name's Shahara, and I attend here with my husband Luke and our two boys. We attend the gospel community that's held on a Wednesday night online, and during the week when I'm not chasing after our two boys, I work as a lawyer in a community legal centre. All right. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Beware of practising your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that they may be giving, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. For when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's well, open God's word to think about prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help. Help us to listen to these words of Jesus and help us to live them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, great to be with you. Thank you for your invitation. I bring you grace and peace from the people of Geelong, the land flowing with milk and honey and AFL premierships. They uh, send their love, and they did want to make sure I mentioned the footy at some point. So that's done. Uh, as I mentioned before, I moved down to Geelong with my family about six months ago, and I've been at City on a Hill Churches for about tw- 12 years. And so it's been really fascinating and exciting for me to get to know what's different and what's the same between different City on a Hill churches. Uh, Geelong is its own thing, as I'm sure you'd appreciate. For example, there is a much, much higher concentration of Ugg boots in staff meetings at Geelong. (laughs) Wasn't expecting that. But there are also lots of things that the churches share in common. Just like in Melbourne, just like here, just like in Geelong, we're all about Jesus. We want to know Jesus and make Jesus known. And we're also all trying to be the kind of community where it's okay to be honest, where it's okay to be yourself, where it's okay to be a little bit vulnerable. That's certainly true at Geelong and Melbourne, and I suspect it's going to be true here too. So I want to do a little experiment with us to check your vulnerability with one another. Is that okay? You're going to take a deep breath. And then I'm going to ask you a question and you'll answer it honestly. 
Who has already made and broken a New Year's resolution for 2023? Yeah, a few people down here. Okay. Don't feel bad, though, because check this out. Who's given up on New Year's resolutions altogether? Because they know it's... Yeah. Yeah, see? You guys go right ahead and feel smug, because at least you're still on the horse, right? Uh, I'm a shocker for New Year's resolutions. I am just terrible. I, I don't know what it is, but you have that... 10-day period after Christmas where no one really knows what day it is. And during that season, I managed to generate every year a disproportionately high amount of faith in my future self. <laughs> I just look ahead and think, future Dave, Dave 2.0, he's going to be great. And then I get to about the 15th of January and realise I'm still me, which means, Houston, we have a problem when it comes to these goals. And, and I've just made so many goals in so many different areas of life. I, I've done work goals, I've done reading goals, exercise, eating goals. I had, an, I had a gardening goal once. That was hilarious. <laughs> but no area of my life has received more attention when it comes to resolutions than prayer. More than any other sphere of my life, prayer is the one I've set the most goals in or sought to see the most change in because I just don't have the kind of prayer life that I want. I don't have the kind of prayer life that I'd like. I, I don't know many people who do, actually. And so I'm constantly finding myself setting goals to pray more prayers or, or better prayers. So it's a good thing as we kick off the year together that we're thinking about prayer. This morning we're in Matthew 6, and I want to look at Jesus' most extensive and most explicit teaching on prayer. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 6. It'd be great to have that open in front of you. And as we tackle this passage, we're going to have three headings. Okay, the pattern, the principle, and our prayers. The pattern, the principle, and our prayers. So right at the top of chapter 6, let's start with the pattern. In verse 1, Jesus sets up a pattern that he's going to talk about for the rest of this chapter. It's all about doing good things for bad reasons. Or more specifically, doing the right things for the wrong audience. Look at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here Jesus is taking aim at a kind of empty religion that he sees all around him. He goes after the big three of Jewish spirituality in this chapter. He goes after giving and praying and fasting because these are the three big marks of your success as a religious person in that day. And so as he speaks to giving and praying and fasting, his goal is to perform kind of a, an open heart surgery on those who claim to be God's people. And so he kicks off with giving in verse 2. And says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now, a few things to notice here. First of all, the giving is done in the synagogues and at the streets. That's a clue that he's kind of taking aim at some sort of religious activity here. But also notice that giving is assumed. It's when you give, not if. And that's good and right, because giving's a godly thing to do. In the Old and the New Testament, it's upheld as a great way of worshipping God. And so if you've got a giving resolution this year, that, that's a good one. But be really careful with that. Because Jesus says, even though giving is good, there is a way to do it wrong. 
and that's with trumpets. Giving with great fanfare. Tooting your own horn with your generosity. This is the person who walks past the homeless man and takes a selfie as they put a coin in the cup. This is the man or woman who insists on having their name on the wall of the new wing as the major donor or the company that makes sure their pro bono social involvement is very highly publicised. You see, at some point, it's not generous at all. You're not actually seeking to do justice or care for the poor and needy or even to worship God. Because it's possible to have a social conscience out of self-interest. To be really generous and really selfish at the same time. And so what's the solution? Secrecy. A kind of private generosity. Look at verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, don't misunderstand, right? Jesus is not saying you need to somehow separate the hemispheres of your brain and uh, not actually know what left and right are anymore. He's simply saying, don't make it obvious. When you give, don't go out of your way to make it noticeable. That could be something you could do this week. Have some fun with it. Try and give to somebody without them knowing it was you. That's the pattern applied to giving. And then Jesus goes on to apply this pattern, doing the right things for the wrong audience, when he talks about prayer. Look at verse 5 with me. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Praying to be heard by people is deeply problematic. Now, when I was younger, I went to a whole lot of really, really Christian camps. Right? Really Christian camps. There were Frisbees and Aslan t-shirts everywhere (laughs) at these things. And they were wonderful for my spiritual growth. But, But when you're hanging out in a community like that, you find some very funny ways of sinning. I'm not proud of this, but in my youth, I have used prayer as kind of a pickup line. I'm going to walk you through how to do that. The first thing you need to do is pick your audience. All right? It doesn't work for everybody. But once you've picked your audience, then you craft your prayer just right and choose your moment. Because if you can do all of this together, you can manage to share an intimate spiritual moment with someone and demonstrate that you're thoughtful. You're a really good listener. You're caring, you're kind, you're funny, and most of all, you're really, really humble. (laughs) And Jesus says, don't do that. Last week, I was explaining to our youth, I used to do this, and one of them came up to me and said, Dave, this prayer pickup line, you've got to tell me what it was. I need all the help I can get. (laughs) Jesus says, don't do that. Now, public praying is not wrong. In like three verses time, Jesus is going to give us a prayer to pray together out loud. But the question we want to ask ourselves about prayer is this, do you pray differently when you know 
people are listening. Do you pray differently when you know people are listening? Maybe you use a different vocabulary. More words or or longer words. I knew a guy once who I swear adopted a slightly British accent every time he prayed. Maybe it's just that you're more likely to pray when you know people are watching. Or maybe you're less likely to pray when you know people are watching. But it's the same problem, isn't it? You're more concerned with the audience than the God you pray to. Whether you're doing the right things for the wrong audience or failing to do the right things because you're so concerned with what people will think about you. The point is, when your prayers are talking to people, they may not be talking to God at all. Certainly, they'll get no reward from him because even in prayer, it's possible to do the right things for the wrong audience. What seems like the most spiritual act we can muster can be nothing more than a religious motion. But of course, it's not just prayer, is it? Jesus will talk about praying and giving and fasting, but for us, it could be all sorts of things. It could be our serving. It could be our leading. It could be our caring for people in need. Our preaching. Doing the right things for the wrong audience is an enormous danger for us who follow Jesus. But it's a little bit tricky. It's kind of complicated because we will be seen doing those things sometimes. Whether you serve on a team here or you're a gospel community leader, maybe you wear one of the lanyards of the welcome team or you're just generous when you have the opportunity, from time to time, people will see you doing those things. And Jesus says, that's good. That's okay. In the very same sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, a chapter before, Jesus says these words, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, we do want to let our light shine so that people would see it, but the key is at the end there that they would praise your Father in heaven. When you want people to praise you instead of him, that's when we have a problem. That's when we've got it all wrong. Because that's plagiarism, isn't it? But when someone else deserves the credit and the glory, and yet you make an attempt to steal it for yourself. You're not interested in helping the poor or needy at that point. You're just helping yourself. You're not interested in asking God for things. You're just buying status points in the eyes of others. And here's the biggest danger with that. It totally works. It totally works. Look at verse 2. When you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There is a reward here. People will see you giving or praying or serving. And if you're doing it just right, they will be impressed with you, not just God. And you might even get a golf clap for your righteousness. And that can feel good, at least for a moment. But chasing that is fickle. And it's futile. And it leads you to this exhausting treadmill where you try your best not to do good things, but to keep up appearances. And suddenly you start to undermine the kind of open, honest, vulnerable community God wants us to be because you have to keep the real self further and further from other people so that no one can actually see behind your mask. But Jesus says there's a better way. We can do better than that, which brings us to our next section, the principle. Now, I'm struck that through this passage, this whole chapter, there is one single idea, one concept that kind of works like the pin in a grenade. Right? The pin in a grenade is small, and if you're not looking for it, you might miss it, but it is by far the most important bit, because if that's missing, the whole thing explodes and not in a good way. At the heart of this passage is a single idea so powerful that it can actually free you from the shackles of public opinion. An idea so revolutionary that it genuinely could help you towards the kind of prayer life you wish you had. You ready? Father. Father. If you've got the passage in front of you, just look at how many times that word comes up. It's at least 10. Your father who sees in secret. Your father who will reward you. Your father knows what you need. Our father in heaven. And, and we might not think much of this as we look at it, because this is pretty familiar language to us. But you've got to understand, for Jesus to start talking about this God in this way is making everybody around him super uncomfortable. Let me try and illustrate how this feels. This is a picture of N.T. Wright. Have we got N.T. Wright? It's worth the wait. <laughs> Fancy, isn't he? Now, if you don't know who N.T. Wright is, in the theological world, he is as close as we get to a rock star. Right? He's written enormously influential books, and if you wear tweed jackets and love Jesus, he's just a very big deal in your world. N.T. Wright is really significant, so significant, in fact, that if we had to come up with an equivalent, I think he's kind of like Beyonce to the theological world. I don't know the ancient Hebrew word for bootylicious, but N.T. Wright has to be as close as we get in biblical studies. And so it was a big day when I was at Bible college and N.T. Wright came to visit. I was at Ridley, not a massive college, but N.T. Wright came to visit us, and it felt like a big deal. And you could tell it was a big deal because all of the lecturers dressed up in their best clothes, and by that I mean their best secondhand suits and hand-knitted bow ties to say, I want to be professional, but I don't want to look materialistic, and so I'm trying to <laughs> kick a goal between those two posts. And everything was going well for N.T. Wright's visit until 
N.T. Wright met Pete. Pete is the only semi-professional hip-hop artist I've ever known in my life. And he was a loose unit. He's like a party on a plate, this guy. And later in life, he discovered Jesus. Jesus just gripped his heart. And so he decided, I want to do whatever I can to find out more about him. And so he came to Bible college. It's fair to say, Pete could not care less about who's who in the biblical studies world. And he had no idea who N.T. Wright was. And so the air was sucked out of the room when it was lunchtime. And there was a spare seat next to N.T. Wright. And everybody saw Pete notice the spare seat. He walked over with his lunch and said, Hi, I'm Pete. Tom, said N.T. Wright. Imagine that. Tom, first name basis, crazy. And Pete said, Tom, you look familiar. I'm just trying to place where I know... You're the guy who does the gardening around here, aren't you? <laughs> now take that, that feeling right there, right? That emotion, that terrific awkwardness you feel deep in your stomach. That's how people felt when Jesus started talking about God as Father. You can't do that. That can't be okay. No one's done this before because, because the word Jesus is using is Abba. Father, it's a word of closeness, of intimacy. It's a word like dad. And the titles we're supposed to be using for God are all about how big he is, how powerful, how holy, how other. We're supposed to talk about how he's above and beyond everything, not about how close he is, not about how intimate he is, not dad. But Jesus goes straight there, again and again and again. And when he does, he's not denying the bigness of God or the holiness or the sovereignty or the righteousness of God, but he is making a staggering point that this God has come this close. This God has come this close. And that's an idea that has the power to change everything. Because when you begin to understand that this God wants to be this close to you, doesn't that start to free you from the shackles of public opinion? when you begin to understand that this God wants your time and your attention and your affection, doesn't that free you from having to live for the acceptance of anyone else? This God, this God wants to hear your prayers. So how could it possibly matter who else is listening? See, the pattern is clear. Don't do the right things for the wrong audience. But the principle is, God is your father. Why would you want to? What could they possibly give you that you don't already have in him? 
What kind of acceptance and love could you possibly be missing when you know that this God has come this close? This might be the highest privilege that the gospel affords us, that Jesus Christ left his home in heaven knowing we were sinners and he died on the cross for our forgiveness, but he did more than just make us clean. He brought us close. This is everything. J.O. Packer says it this way in this famous quote. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I want to say, if you're trying to understand Christianity, maybe for the first time, if you find yourself at church and you're not quite sure why, or you're investigating what all of this is about, let me give you a pro tip from the inside. It's not about being good. Don't you dare think it's about being good. It's about this God coming this close because he's gracious, because he's merciful, because he knows you're not good and he loves you to bits anyway. We do not deserve this kind of relationship with this God. But because of what Christ has done, it's possible. And I wonder if I really believe that. Every day and in every possible way, if I genuinely was convinced that Jesus' death made me clean and brought me close, if I was totally convinced that God wants to be my Father and I have already all the acceptance and love that comes with that, if I really believe that God wants to hear my prayers. Imagine what that would do to my prayer life. See, here's the mistake I make every year. As I seek to pray more prayers and better prayers, I I suddenly find myself starting to think if I can get it just right and craft my prayers just so then maybe I can make my prayers more acceptable to God. That's ridiculous. I can't make my prayers acceptable to God. Because Jesus has already done that. That's a finished work. And now I can just come as I am. And now prayer is not a place for me to be good It's a place for me to be honest. Prayer is not a place for me to be impressive before other people or even before God. Prayer is a place for me to be real. Because God is already my Father and I am His child. Imagine what that would do to my prayer life. That brings us to our third heading our prayers. And so as the band comes up, I want to ask, what what can we do to practice this? 
How do we practice the fatherhood of God? And there's so many possible ways. But in the middle of our passage, Jesus offers us a suggestion. He gives us a prayer. He says to his disciples, don't pray out in public so that everyone can see you. Just, just go into a quiet, solitary place. And don't use heaps of words like the Gentiles do. Don't try and be impressive. Just, just pray something like this. And then the prayer he gives them is astoundingly simple and deeply, deeply relational. Because it starts with these words. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Jesus is telling us to talk to God as if he really is our Father, as if he really cares about us. As if he really listens, as if, imagine this, as if he really likes listening to your prayers. Because he does. Did you know that? God likes it when you pray. And so here is an invitation to run straight past the guards into the throne room for an unscheduled, unfiltered conversation with the king to tell him about your day and to ask him for stuff. Just as if he were really dad. So that's where I think we should start. We should start practicing the fatherhood of God through these kind of simple relational prayers. So if you, like me, have had a New Year's resolution to pray more, be careful of your motivations there. Don't pray more so that you'll become more acceptable to God. Don't pray more or better prayers so that you'll become more impressive to people. Pray more prayers. Pray better prayers simply because you can. Because Jesus has made that possible. And this is a gift, and so let's use it. Let's talk to a God who's come this close and loves to listen to us when we pray. Let's use prayers like the Lord's Prayer. Not just to make prayer about the things we don't have, but to make prayer about rejoicing in the things we do. The things that are already ours, like a perfect, eternal and gracious Father. As we finish, I want to quote N.T. Wright, but for reals this time. He says this about the Lord's Prayer. We don't yet have the right to say this prayer. But it's part of the holy boldness, the almost cheeky celebration of the sheer grace and goodness of the living God that we can actually say these words as though we really mean them through and through. And that, of course, is exactly what the Lord's Prayer invites us to do. It invites us to practice the fatherhood of God, to, to rejoice in the fact that this God has come this close and, and to do something a little bit cheeky and talk to the king as dad. So we're going to start now. We're going to stand together and say the Lord's prayer. Would you stand?
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.